Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Daniel Stewart, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you here, Daniel. You're, you're an active member of the community, of the Entree Architect community, so it's great to have you on here and to talk to you one-on-one. Uh, let me introduce you to our audience, Daniel Stewart, a licensed commercial pilot, a certified flight instructor, a businessman, an entrepreneur, uh, and a licensed architect in California, where he practices uh, at a small firm in Fullerton. Uh, early in his professional life, Daniel taught pilots, and after, uh, and after that, he was a cargo pilot. And after retiring from aviation early in his career, Daniel moved to architecture and joined us. <laughs> Much of Daniel's experience practicing architecture has been larger projects in large and medium-sized firms. He's been a power user of Revit since 2004, and today he teaches Revit on, uh, online at cdb-university.com. Uh, Daniel's project experience includes fast food restaurants, parking structures, military housing, apartment buildings, uh, John Wayne Airport in Orange County, uh, California, call centers, and, uh, and a bunch of single-family residential work. So a pretty interesting background, Daniel. You've got a, a very diverse story, very diverse portfolio. Um, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I want to know where it all started. I wanted to understand your origin story. So when did you discover your passion for architecture? It sounds like uh, it came later in your career. 
who inspired you to do that or what inspired you to do that? So share that journey. What's your origin story? Yeah, so um, I guess flash back to when I was going through college. Um, well, I guess I, I don't know that I really wanted to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, I mean, I think I, 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 you know, I, I knew I would, but I didn't really want to. And so I found myself in, in St. George, Utah and the local small town, um, bigger now, but definitely smaller back then. And there was a local college and they had somehow I'd stumbled upon an aviation program and airplanes. And that really turned me on. Was it, how old were you at that point? I guess I would have been, I'm guessing I was 20. Okay. So was there an interest in aviation and airplanes as a kid? What, what sort of inspired you? What pushed you towards airplanes? Good question, Mark. So this is kind of interesting, but I can remember, I grew up on a farm actually. And, and so I can remember being out on the farm and seeing airplanes fly overhead and I do remember I was like, man, I really, I'd love to be a pilot. That would be so much fun. And, and so it was always this thought that I had as a kid. And so, you know, maybe when I saw this flight program, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I never knew how do you become a pilot and hadn't really thought, actually, I had thought about it because I kind of wanted to go into the Air Force as a military, as, as a pilot, mm-hmm. but um, did not get accepted doing that. So I suppose I kind of did have it in my head. So when I found this flight program, I was really interested. And, so, you went so, to, I, so you went to flight school instead of college or was it part of a college? Sort of. So that's, yeah. So I was really interested in aviation. So I started this flight, this, this aviation program, which is in a normal university. Okay. Um, I think it was Dixie's. Dixie College at the time. And, and so, you know, the thing is, I took like almost all aviation and, um, you know, got my pilot's license and, and was flying. And, and then of course, you know, you have to kind of grow up and it's like, oh yeah, I have to do my general education. <laughs> and so, you know, kind of moved on to doing the general education. Um, but, but anyway, the real driver to get me into school, at least, at least to make me really excited about it was, was aviation. And so you got your, your pilot's license. And do you still fly today? I do. I maintain my pilot's licenses, um, flight instructor as well. I'm not super active with it. Uh, I do more architecture and architecture-related stuff yeah. and family. So once you got your license to fly, um, in your bio, it says you, you taught pilots and flew Correct. cargo planes. So how did that, what's that story? How did you go yeah. from from uh, a pilot's license to teaching air, uh, pilots. Yeah, so the way, the way it works, um, when you're a burgeoning pilot, you, you first get your private pilot's license and then you get your instrument rating and then a commercial pilot. At that point, you're gonna have about 250 hours, roughly. And you're gonna need to get a job, you're gonna need around 1,000 hours to, to possibly 1,500 hours. And so the road to, to get that time, because flying is so costly, um, you, you know, you're not probably going to pay for that. It would be hundreds, $100,000 or something. And so the way that, that pilots learn and gain that experience is by teaching. 
And so the path to becoming a commercial pilot is to teach, which is interesting because it's sort of backwards. It's like, hey, you're the green pilot here. Why don't you teach all these people how to fly? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, That's but kind I, of scary as we see these planes <laughs> flying over our heads. Yeah. So, but, you know, in reality, um, teaching people really helps you learn. Right. Once you can teach people, um, you really have a good grasp on the concept. And you do learn so much by teaching people. And, and I, you know, would kind of call it like, you know, preventing this person from killing me. Um, and, and you do learn a lot because, you know, they do things uh, that you would not want to do and you have to make sure that you're safe. And so you learn from, from just even that experience there. Yeah. And of course, having to understand the concept well so that you can explain it to someone so that you can transfer that learning. So anyway, that's the way that works. You start out teaching, then you move into the, the commercial world where you can actually um, get a job. Yeah. And so did you do that? Was, and, and was that the plan? Was once, you, once you got your license and you went through school and was the idea, okay, I'm going to be a commercial pilot. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fly planes. Yes, absolutely. And so you flew cargo planes? Was that, was that your job? Is that ultimately what you did? Correct. So after I was teaching, <clears throat> I think, you know, I, I had several sort of corporate jobs, which would be, um, you know, flying for some company. I, I flew some passengers around for, uh, uh, you know, this guy had an airplane and I would fly his family around. So that mm -hmm. was one of my jobs. I also flew um, traffic. You've heard traffic reports, you know, in, in various cities where they're, and I used to, so I used to fly those reporters. Yeah. Um, also taught and then um, moved into the corporate. Well, I guess I should say, you know, when I came out of college, it was actually, there was like no jobs. But, but anyhow, that was always the plan was to be, I really wanted to be a pilot. Absolutely. Yeah. So you achieved that goal and you flew planes and you had your commercial license and you worked, worked for, you know, airlines. And so, so what happened? What, what, how did you end up in architecture? Where, how, what was the transition between flying planes to, and architecture? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I became a pilot, the way to make it easy is to go where the jobs are. And so it wasn't where my home was. And, and I think that's very typical of pilots because when you become, say, an airline pilot, you'll be domiciled somewhere. The chances of that actually being your home is not very great. So I was, uh, I guess my base, if you will, was in the Midwest. And so, you know, you, you kind of spend all this time away from anybody that you know, um, you know, flying around. So it's kind of very disconnecting from community there was, there was really not much community. And, and so I think I had just decided at one point that this was not something that I wanted to continue after several years of, of flying, you know, professionally, that it wasn't something that I wanted to continue. And I thought hard about what it is I might go into, how I might transition out and get into something else. So it was a, a lifestyle decision. It wasn't, it was. it, it, you had this lifestyle, forced lifestyle, uh, caused by the profession you chose yeah. because you had to fly all over and they based you where they needed you. Um, and so you, you made a decision that that's not the lifestyle that you wanted to live and you needed to make a change. So, so how did you go? So I understand that. All right, we're not going to do flying anymore. I need to find something else. So how did architecture enter the story? Yeah. So I'm going to flash back slightly, but just yeah. in college, um, I, when, 
one of the things to become an airline pilot was you, you needed to have a bachelor's degree. And um, so at that time, it was like, okay, what am I going to do my bachelor's in? And when I was growing up, I, one thing I didn't mention, but uh, my grandfather was an architect. And so when I was growing up, I would go to his house and I found myself oftentimes at his drafting table and I would draft things up here and there. And I really enjoyed that. It was comforting. And I liked his lifestyle. He had a good lifestyle. He was, he was well-paid. Uh, they didn't, you know, want for money. And he was a really nice guy, which, you know, I don't know if that plays into it or not, but it just, he was somebody that I respected. Yeah. So you, you, you had some seeds planted as a child. Yes. So, so you had an example, somebody was there that you respected and that you loved and, and, and you saw he enjoyed what he was doing. And so what am I going to do? It, you know, one of those things pop in your head. Well, grandpa yeah. was a, an architect. And I thought, you know, when I was going into aviation, yes, the plan was to go into aviation, but I wanted to <clears throat> choose and in fact, I kind of always had this as, as a backup plan. What else would I want to do? And I thought architecture was the thing. And so I actually had kind of planned that um, to be the backup plan. So when I did retire from aviation, which I don't recommend, <laughs> I mean, you know, a career change like that, it was not planned. I, I don't, if, if I had known that in the beginning, I would not have done it that way. But I did kind of have this backup plan. And so when I did retire, it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to do architecture. And how old were you when that transition happened? Um, I think I was 25. Okay. It was somewhere there. And so, and so what did you do? So you had some background in college you took some architecture courses. Was it, was it so, but it wasn't an architecture program. It wasn't an accredited program. It was architecture, general, general education, architecture, like architectural history and that kind of thing. Yeah. This, this is kind of interesting, but, uh, you know, I did begin architecture school. Okay. But later, um, I, just, I, I noticed how demanding the program was. Yeah. And felt that uh, I couldn't continue. And so I, at some point, exited and changed my degree. And then graduated with a bachelor's in geography and cartography with an emphasis in cartography, which is kind of map making. It's sort of drawing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah. So. So, so let me make sure I understand this. So w- while you were in arc, uh, while you were in flight school, you were also in an architecture program. Is that, yeah, is correct. that the timeline? I got yes. Okay. Totally understand that now. So, yeah. so, so you have a demanding uh, course load in, in flying because that's not easy either. Yeah. And we all know, anybody who's been through architecture school knows the rigors of architecture school. Um, and so I could definitely understand that. And so, so you needed to choose one. You chose flight and, uh, and went in that direction and then decided this lifestyle yeah. change. Um, so it makes sense. Okay, let's, let's go to plan B. I, I, that was the idea that, that if it wasn't going to work with, with flight, uh, I would do an architecture program. So what did you do? Did you go, so you went back to architecture school? So I, I never did, um, actually. I found myself in California, and in California, they have a program where you can basically do an apprenticeship. Yeah. And so I had considered going back to architecture school, um, but found it kind of tough to jump out of life with all the bills that I had and sure. just like, go back to school. So 
I had opted to go ahead and continue uh, working. Well, I, I found a job with an architect, which was, which is pretty challenging, as you can imagine, I'm sure. Uh, here's a guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of architectural background, but not much, not like most graduates. But it was in San Francisco at a time when business was booming. It was back in the dot-com yeah. you know, uh, height of the dot-com. And man, they, they just needed people left and right. So I found a firm that, that would hire. In fact, I found two opportunities and um, really wanted the first opportunity, but I, it was moving very slowly. I didn't know that they were going to do it. The second opportunity came along, I took it. And then the first opportunity reached out to me once again. Once they found out I'd already taken an opportunity, they said, never mind. They kind of rescinded their offer. But anyway, I found my way into an architecture firm and it was a you know, great group. I mean, it was a great group, great company, great place to, to learn and kind of cut my teeth on yeah. architecture. So, so did you stay there um, for all the time you needed in order to acquire your license? No. I, I had, I stayed there for about four years, moved on to another place. That one was shorter for about a year and then moved on to um, another place. So over, over the course of, I mean, actually several jobs because you, you know, you have to get eight years of experience mm -hmm. to do the art, the apprenticeship program through the California architects board. So it took me some time and then, you know, I should have started studying. I mean, I had architects telling me like, start studying early so that, you know, once you have your experience, you can just get your, get your license. Of course, I didn't listen to that. <laughs> and then, you know, just doing, doing your AREs, it's, it's not easy. It takes yeah. time. And, and, and so anyway, yeah. So I was licensed in 2011. So it's, it's been some time now, but it took me a little bit of time because, you know, my first job in architecture was probably in 2000-ish, um, 2000. And so I finally got licensed in 2000. And then when did you start your own firm? Started my own firm. You know, I had started a small thing in 2009 after I had been laid off. Um, that was kind of the crash um, in, you know, 2009. Yeah. And so I had started my own thing and contracted with an architect to provide the architectural services. That was the first time I kind of started a firm. Mm -hmm. And then later... I um, re-upped, like re-started um, that firm, if you will. It was always kind of there, but hadn't been really operational. And so I started to operate that firm once again. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion. I'm hearing it more and more among the Entree Architect community. Your workload is piling up. And with project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. RCAT.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And it's designed so you can access it quickly and efficiently. And even better, RCAT.com is free. It's free to use and requires no registration. So visit today at rcat.com and access the information you need now. That's rcat.com. A-R-C-A-T.com. 
Studio Services Bookkeeping, a division of Charette Venture Group, provides concierge remote bookkeeping services to small firm architects. Liberate yourself from bookkeeping tasks by outsourcing to trusted professionals who understand the nuances of your industry and your firm size. You can maintain control of your finances without doing all bookkeeping tasks yourself. Studio Services Bookkeeping goes beyond traditional bookkeeping to help you manage cash flow, analyze project profitability, handle invoicing, and streamline your financial systems. Learn how to start outsourcing your bookkeeping today at ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. And mention Entree Architect and get five hours of free bookkeeping with a six-month contract. That's ss-bookkeeping.com slash entrearchitect. When building a business you're passionate about, it's easy to feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. And if you're doing all the invoicing and accounting on your own, you're probably spending time on work you don't love. FreshBooks is built for business owners like you. It's the all-in-one accounting software that saves entrepreneurs and freelancers up to 11 hours a week. That's 11 hours that you can spend nailing a client pitch, serving your clients, or honing your craft as an architect. From building, sending, and following up on invoices, to tracking and managing expenses, to processing online payments, FreshBooks automates and simplifies all the tough and annoying parts of running your own business. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team is always available to answer questions. Try FreshBooks today for free. 30 days, no credit card required. 30 days. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and get more time back to build the business you love. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Well, our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their state-of-the-art technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or presentations. No wonder it's used by industry leaders like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets to populate your scene. Sound complicated? It's not. What if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present their biggest idea in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience, or that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of the Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects? To learn more, visit Twinmotion.com or download a free trial a free trial today, visit our exclusive URL, twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect. That's twinmotion.link slash entrearchitect to try Twinmotion for free today. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you 
the Entree Architect community. Right, right from the beginning, the early two thousands, working on Revit, because that's what you, that's that's what we I want to get to. Um, yeah, sure. Is in addition to running your own architecture firm, you recently launched a course uh, called Revit One Hundred and One, an all inclusive course that teaches people how to uh, learn and run Revit efficiently. So, um, let's let's go back a little bit in your architecture career. Uh, and talk a little bit about your experience with Revit. Pretty early on, working with Revit, two thousand, early two thousands. Um, so, when did you start using Revit, and when did you realize that you know this is something that I really loved to to do? So, I was involved in AIA San Francisco at the time, and they had a program um, by a company called. Oh, man, I don't think I can remember it, but it's before it was acquired by Autodesk. It was back in the days it was based out of in Massachusetts and it was Vectorworks. Uh, no, I can't remember the name, but it was before Autodesk acquired them and they were Revit at the time. The name of the software was Revit, but I can't think of the company name. Right. Right. I remember, I remember when Revit was Revit prior to Autodesk purchasing Revit. Yeah. And so, and so were you using were you using Revit before Autodesk? Well, so what I was going to say is no. No. So what I was going to say is so being involved in AIA San Francisco, they had this program presentation, if you will, by the makers of Revit. Mm-hmm. And Mark, I saw this presentation <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I I was like I was so excited and really felt like I had seen a view into the future. This software was the future of yeah. architecture. You did look into the future because <laughs> because that's exactly what that was. Is yeah. that I remember when Revit was launched. Or I don't know if it was launched when I remember it, but I remember it very early on before Autodesk acquired it. Um, yeah. And it was like this magical software that uh, was going to revolutionize the way architecture was done because everyone was using CAD at that point. Everybody had moved on from hand drawing to CAD. Yeah. Um, and uh, and everyone was using AutoCAD. And Revit yeah. came along and, and it was like, you know, the clouds parted. <laughs> and it, it was, I mean, to me, it was, it was incredible. And I, I ran back to my firm and I told them about this software and and how awesome it was and how excited I was. And they were like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> trying to convince no, them. To this move. Is not, no, that's not that yeah. great. You know, <laughs> just very, very skeptical. And and so um, I thought at that time, I'm like, well, I'm going to start using it on my own. So I bought <laughs> access to this subscription. It was a subscription back then. I think it was like 90 bucks for three months, and you just paid quarterly. Yeah. And so um, that's. That's how it kind of all started. Now I see it here. It's Charles River Software is who started it. And um, I want to say that it, it was Revit revised instantly. Like it was, it was a. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 And so, um, so I bought this subscription and, and every opportunity from there forward that I could use it, I did. Unfortunately, you know, I didn't have that many opportunities. I couldn't use it in my work. I could use it on the side and learn it on my own. 
but we didn't use it at work, despite my attempts to try convince them to, to use it, you know. Um, and so my next job, they were really excited about Revit. But, you know, Revit is not a simple thing to learn. Revit actually is, I, I would say that it's quite complicated. And so it's not something you learn in a weekend. I, I think it's not something that you learn on your own, even. I mean, I can tell you back then, we didn't have the internet like we did now. Now you go online, if you wanna look up a question, I'll, I mean, there's a lot out there. Chances are you're gonna find it. It's amazing what I find when I have a question. Yeah. But back then, you know, you didn't have that. There weren't all these resources. So you were really on your own. So it was, it was a real challenge. Um, to learn it. And it's not easy. So anyway, well, I guess where I was going with this is at this firm, they were really excited to do it. They sent me to a, a it was like a three-day training program, maybe a four-day. And they're like, all right, you know, get, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> let's switch everything over to Revit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, then they'd say like, wait, I don't, can you change the way this looks? I don't like the way this looks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Revit then was not what Revit is today. It was funky right. and hard to use and it looked terrible. And yes, it was awful. Yes. Yes. All true. <laughs> All true. But the future and, was obvious. I mean, the future, yeah. it was obvious that this was the future. Yeah. So, so you used it, you've been using it for almost 20 years now. Um, clearly have become an expert and, and proficient in Revit um, using Revit on a regular basis. So where did the, the course, what, what inspired the course? So now you have your architecture firm, you're a power user of Revit, you understand and how, how it works. You have this background in teaching, you know, you, you were a, a flight, flight instructor. Um, what was the inspiration for putting together a course to help others learn it? So the inspiration kind of came sort of selfish, <laughs> but I had my firm and one thing that I know, having worked with many other Revit users over time, is that most people, many people, especially new people, do not know how to do Revit. They are clueless. I mean, it's just, like I say, it's just not an easy program to learn. And unless you have somebody there to kind of help you along, um, it's just a real challenge. So I wanted to train my new employees um, how to do Revit. Like one of the scariest things that for me um, is that when you find somebody who really knows Revit, they probably don't know it right <laughs> or probably yeah. don't do it the way I would want it done. Right. So my method is I want to take as little time and make this as easy to use and make changes as possible. So partly it comes from a system of the way that I put drawings together and partly it's as it relates to, to Revit, I leverage Revit to make my job easier. And so I rolled out this training program for my own employees so that I could teach them how to do and how not to do Revit. Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's, so it's a, you, you call it Revit 101. So it's intended for people who, who have never yeah. done it never touched it and need to learn how to use it. Those architects, many of us in, in, uh, in my generation who, you know, started in the profession early on with CAD that we were, you know, I'm 50, almost 51. I'll be 51 later this month. 
And the uh, I was in that transition between hand drawing and AutoCAD. Yeah. And so uh, you know, I helped my first firm transition from drawing, hand drawing to AutoCAD. And so there's a lot of architects out there who are around my age, who are in my generation, who never made that change, right? They're still running AutoCAD. And for the last 10 years, we've been saying, oh, we need to shift. We need to make that transition from AutoCAD to, to Revit. Um, and so this is a perfect solution for that, right? Because there's, a, I think many of us um, who have not transitioned, haven't transitioned for many reasons. One, I think, is that it's time consuming. It's, you know, yeah. we know what we do, what we're doing, we know how to do it. And we, we are at a level in our firms uh, with a lot of responsibility. I don't have time to stop yeah. and learn this program. Yeah. Um, I think, and I also think that there's a very uh, large dose of fear, right? What's going to happen if I stop doing it the way I do it? Um, and so is this sort of a solution for that? Is that, is that the intent to sort of help people who haven't made that transition have enough confidence to to make that jump? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, again, selfishly, it was really for my employees to get them from the point of never having touched Revit to being a capable uh, user of Revit and, and this program and, and um, completing documents the way that I wanted them done. And yeah. so absolutely, it, um, the intention was to provide everything in this program the support, the training, the practice to be able to be a comprehensive, capable Revit user in the fastest possible time. Yeah. How long do you think it would take somebody who doesn't, who's never done it uh, to get to the point where they can use it? Yeah. I mean, they're not an expert, but they can use it on a regular basis pretty comfortably, which probably is not a very, go ahead. You were going to say, go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's probably not, you know, a very short amount of time because there's a, yeah. there's a lot more to it than just understanding how to use Revit. There's a whole psychological piece to it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I've kind of, you know, I kind of thought about that. Um, how long would it take? And I, I think there's, it, it, it depends um, on a couple things, but one of them is how far have you progressed through the program? Because I've tried to make this program comprehensive in that there's nothing that you haven't touched, right? Because someone might come to you and say, oh, I need you to do it this way, or I need you to do this thing. And you're like, oh, I have not learned that, you know? Yeah, How right. do I do that? Um, so I would, say it's, it, I would say it's probably three months of some pretty um, involved, you know, pretty good time spent on the course. Maybe let's say at a minimum, a couple hours a day. Yeah, break down yeah, the course for me. Uh, how how does it work? What's the structure of it? So the course introduces each tool, each and every tool, so that you like one of the the biggest things that that I think is when you're learning software, you don't necessarily know have to have to know how to do each and everything that it does, but you definitely need to know each and everything it does. Right. Understood. Yeah. So if you know that it can do it, you're not doing it another way. <laughs> right. Yeah. That it, that's that important. Right. And that's how you get into doing things the wrong way. Because right. you figure out a way to get it done, but it may not be the right way. Exactly. 
And in this training program, I teach you how to do and how not to do things. Now, later on, if you, you know, you become this great Revit user, you kind of gone through the course, you can change sort of the methodology, but I'm going to give you a methodology in going through this. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. I have a, a list of rules that we do. So for, for everybody, this is the first rule. So this is the rule unless, and then you can tell me, why do you think you want, don't want to do it that way? You know, and then we can kind of talk about it. So it's, it's a set of rules. And um, so, you know, back to kind of your question. So we introduce every tool so that they know everything the program can do. And then we couple that with practice so that they've had a chance to use it. Now, also Revit is a really, so this is really interesting about Revit. Revit is very simple on the surface as if it's the ocean, but it's also very deep. So I can really take almost any of the topics and just go super deep in it and complicate it. So it's very easy that at the surface, it's very easy to learn, but some of the tools you can kind of go deeper and they get more complicated. So again, you know, know what each of the tools are. We have the training material there so that if you haven't used that, you can go in and do it. So there's sort of different ways you could approach the course. You know, one is um, as needed, right? Which I don't necessarily recommend because you're going to really kind of clunk through. What would be nice is you go through the course, have all the tools introduced, practice them. You can even practice them on projects. And then as you forget things, because you will, there's so many different tools in Revit, you're going to forget how to do it. So you have the training material to go back over to be able to do that. So, so how, how do listeners learn more about uh, Revit 101? So if you'd like to learn more about um, Revit 101, you can go to cdb-university.com. Okay. And if you go to the sales page, um, it outlines what each of the courses are and what they have. Okay. So, so there's different levels of how you can purchase the course. Yeah, that's right. There are different levels and I can just briefly outline them, but the, the top yeah. level, which is the one that I'd recommend is video instruction, weekly live Q and a by a sort of a zoom call, practice assignments, review of those assignments and coaching. So the coaching is telling you what to do next, helping you, helping guide you through whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's right. so a project. So it's inclusive, has everything you need, has support and one-on-one and -on -one coaching. Correct, correct. So what are the other levels? So the other ones um, go down from there and are less costly. And so the first drop-off is the coaching, the review and the coaching. And then we also have um, just the video assignments only, or sort of the, sorry, the video with assignments, but doesn't come with the coaching and the live Q and A. Right. So if somebody wanted to just, just buy the videos, they can do that. Exactly. Okay, exactly. great. And did you, did you, before we started to record, you'd mentioned you wanted to give away, uh, one of these, uh, courses. That's right. How, how do we do that? So as a thank you to, to you, Mark, and, and for your listeners, I'd like to, uh, give away a free course of the video only. Great. And so if, if your listeners will just email me at info at cdb-university.com 
and put entree architect in the subject line, I will add you to a list where we'll randomly choose some listeners and, and give away that free video course. All right, great. So the email is info at cdb-university.com. Yes, that's uh, it. Just put in the, in the subject Entree Architect, and uh, you'll be put on a list, and then one member will be, uh, will be randomly chosen to receive a free version of the video course, uh, video-only course. That's Thank right. you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure uh, our listeners will appreciate it as well. Uh, before we wrap up here, Daniel, uh, I wanted to ask you the one thing that I ask everybody. Uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So um, I have one thing to come back to, and I'm going to go ahead and answer that question now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> to all of those, all of you out there who have some sort of idea that you're thinking about, that you've thought about, you know, for a long time, just start it now. Start it now and get it done. Agreed. I agree with that. That's for sure. So is that so your that, answer? Is that your answer? Because that's a that, very that's good answer, answer to that question. Yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, and then I just wanted to add that uh, <clears throat> if if people are interested in the course, again as a thank you, um, I've I'm offering a one third off of the courses, and I have a coupon code that you can put in there if you're interested. So I'll, um, you know, you can put that in the show notes, and I can also just tell you, but it's a uh, Entree Architect. 511 is the coupon code. And for a okay. limited time, we'll be giving one third off the courses that we offer. So it's Entree Architect 511. We'll give Correct. you 30% off whatever you purchase there. Yeah. And when you're in the purchase cart, just th there will be a coupon and you can, you can put that in there. And if you, um, you know, have any questions, if you'll go to cdb-university.com, um, you'll kind of have to go down, but below the course curriculum, um, you'll see my contact information and feel free to, to reach out to me with, with any questions. There's a phone number there and also the email that we just said, we just stated. And, uh, you know, I'm an open book. I'm, I'm happy to discuss and help in any way I can. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you, Daniel. His name is Daniel Stewart. Uh, the course, again, is Revit 101 for Production, which is the actual name of the course, Revit 101 for Production. Uh, you can learn more about the course and more about Daniel. You can reach, reach out to Daniel at cdb-university.com. You can find him on YouTube. Just search cdb-university learning Revit, and you can find that YouTube channel with a bunch of information there. He's on Twitter at Architect Daniel, but leave the E off of Architect, so just spell out Architect Daniel but leave the E out of architect and you'll find them on Twitter. Um, again, if you uh, want a free version of the video only course, email Daniel right now at info at cdb-university.com and make sure you put uh, Entree Architect in the, uh, the subject line so he knows that that's why you're doing that. And you could ask for that free version and you'll be put on a list that will uh, he will randomly cho choose one free uh, customer to, uh, to receive that video, of course. So Daniel, thank you. Thanks for coming by, talking about your story. Very interesting story. Uh, probably, probably uh, a very unique story. Not too many architects have started as uh, commercial pilots and then moved to architecture. You know, two yeah. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty extensive uh, 
processes to become an architect uh, and yeah. to become a pilot. So very interesting. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Links to all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. And thank you to RCAT, Studio Services Bookkeeping, FreshBooks, and Twinmotion for their support of this podcast. Entree Architect is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources, live monthly training for architects, business training that is, a supportive architect community. Yep, it's there. And Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's in there for you at Entree Architect Academy. It's waiting for you right there at the membership. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect friends. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. 
calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>